Good morning. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm going to be doing the scripture reading today. And uh, we're going to be reading from Psalm 42. So if you want to take out your devices, Bibles, you know, what have you. Um, also, it's going to be on the screen. So um, Usually we think of the Psalms being written by David. But this particular Psalm uh, was actually read by the sons of Korah. And these were men designated by David to uh, serve in the temple of the Lord. And particularly, uh, they specialize in songs and holy services. So this is one of the most well-known psalms of the sons of Korah. Uh, And so we're going to be reading from Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By the day, the Lord directs his love and night. His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Today we have a guest speaker, um, but he hasn't been a guest here. He and his family, Chad and his family have been coming here uh, since December. He is a dad. He's got uh, two little kids, and uh, you'll get to see a picture of him in just a little moment. And uh, he works full-time. He also is a student at Fuller Theological Seminary, the Seattle campus. And uh, he's interning with us, and he's going to be focusing his efforts on ministry to young adults. So, Chad, come on up and tell us a little bit more about yourself and share God's word with us. Good morning. So I think I have a picture here of my family. This is uh, it's my wife, Jody, my daughter, Macy, and my son, Soren, who's covered up there. Uh, Macy is three and a half, and Soren is about eight months. So we are excited. We, we are excited to have a good family going. Um, we live over in, uh, in Seattle. We live up by the University of Washington. And like Peter said, I'm going to seminary and working full time. But it's, it's been so good to be here with you guys these last couple months. You guys have been so warm and friendly and welcoming. It was interesting. Uh, a few weeks ago, I don't know, we had maybe been coming for a month or so. And we got in the car after the Sunday service. And I just said to Jody, I said, Jody, it is so good to feel loved and to feel wanted is the word I used. And I almost, I almost got choked up about it because it just feels so good to be here. And I'm so thankful um, for how friendly and, 
and just how much you guys have already reached out to, to my family and I. So that being said, thank you very much. I want to open in prayer, and then we will get started. So let's bow our heads. Dear God, I uh, thank you so much for this time to read your word and to share with um, my friends here what I've experienced, what I've learned. I pray, Lord, that it would minister to their hearts and their soul. God, be with us. Meet us here in your word. Amen. All right, a little more about me. When I, when I uh, got out of college, I decided that I wanted to travel. I had done some traveling um, before I went to college. I went to a little school in uh, a little Bible school in Germany, and uh, that kind of whetted my appetite. If anyone here has traveled, you know that kind of once it gets in your blood, you really just want to keep doing it. And uh, my whole time in college, I just really wanted to travel more, and I just pushed on through college in order to get to that point. And so after I um, finished college, I found some random hostel that was run by some Christians in Elat. Has anybody, I don't know if anybody's been, in, been to Israel. If you haven't, you need to go. It's a great, great place. I loved it there. But Elat is down on the Red Sea. It's the farthest uh, southern part of Israel that you can get. It borders Jordan and it borders Egypt. I could see Jordan, Egypt, and on a clear day, I could see Saudi Arabia when I was there. Well, I worked um, at this hostel, and when you work at a hostel, you have lots of interesting and strange and eccentric people that come to the hostel, especially in Israel. Israel is like a magnet for crazy people. Uh, (laughs) There was one man who came to the hostel. Um, We would do Bible studies every morning, and it was open. Anyone could come. And he came to the hostel and um, was just kind of acting strange the whole time. And, and John, the man who ran the, the hostel, he told all of us after he, this man had left, he said, well, that guy is an interesting guy. He just got out of an Israeli jail. And we're like, well, why was he in an Israeli jail? Well, he, uh, <laughs> he uh, some time back, he started to stand outside the gates of the old city in Jerusalem and he would preach. And he believed that he was Elijah. He was a prophet. And so he just kept pestering, pestering people, and eventually the Israeli police came and they threw him in jail. Well, the problem was he wouldn't tell them uh, what his name was or what country he was from. And so he was sat in jail for about 10 years, and they could never deport him because no one would claim him. <laughs> so eventually they just, they just released him, and he showed up at our hostel one day. And as far as I know, he's still wandering around in Israel. Uh, Another man who came, there was this, this tall kind of this tall man. He had dark skin, dark features. He was, um, got to know him, and his, his story was he was from the Northwest Territories in Canada. He grew up on a reservation there, and the, an oil company came in, and they found oil on his reservation. And uh, so because of that, he got a stipend. His whole life, everyone in the tribe got a stipend of $50,000 a year. And most of the people there would just stay on the reservation and kind of live out their lives. But he had a little more uh, gumption to him, and he decided that he was going to go travel. He really wanted to travel. First, he did a law degree at the University of Toronto, and then he, he bought or he rented a place in uh, Berlin, Germany, and then he would fly all over the world just traveling. And that was his plan for his life, I think. Well, he showed up in Israel because he had a very specific thing he wanted to do. He wanted to, he wanted to ride a camel. That was, that was his, his uh, thing. He wanted to ride a camel. And he, you can actually ride camels pretty easily when you're in Israel or Egypt. Um, you can, I have a picture somewhere. I didn't bring it, but I have a picture of me on a camel. It's not that uncommon. But he wanted to 
not just sit on a camel. He wanted to take a little adventure out in the desert with a camel. And uh, so he wanted to buy one. So he talked to John, who had lived in a lot, my, my boss John, who lived in a lot for 40 years. And he said, where can I buy a camel? Do you know any honest people that will sell me a camel? And so John knew a sheik who lived over in Jordan. And he said, you need to go see this guy. He'll sell you a camel and he'll hook you up so you can go out into the desert. So he walked across the border into, uh, into Jordan and he started asking around the taxi drivers, asking them, uh, where can I find this sheik? Well, no one, no one knew where, no one knew where. And so he said, well, where can I buy a camel? And so they gave him a name of, you know, I'm sure it was a friend of a friend of a friend who would give him a, a great deal on a camel. And so he took a ride in the taxi and showed up at this place to buy a camel. So the man sells him a camel, and not only does he sell him a camel, he gives him a handler. So he essentially gives him a guy that's going to walk around with him in the desert, going to feed the camel, set up his tent, make sure he doesn't get lost, and take care of him while he's in the desert. So the next morning they get up, and off they go out into the desert. So they they, um, ride all day. Gets kind of dark, getting nighttime, and so they decide to set up camp. So they set up camp. The man sets up tent for him. He gives him some food, feeds his camel, and then my friend from Canada, he goes to sleep. Well, the next day, he, woke, he wakes up, he opens the tent, and the camel is gone, the man is gone, his money is gone, everything is gone. The only thing he has is his shoes and a tent. And he's stuck in the middle of the desert. And this picture is actually of the desert that he was in. Uh, this is in Jordan. I don't know if you've ever heard of Petra, but this is really close to the city of Petra. It's called Wadi Rum is the name of the desert. But, you know, when I hear that story, when I heard that story, I can really relate to that experience that he had in the sense that in my own spiritual life over the last, I don't know, probably... 10 years of my life, I feel like I've been in a spiritual desert. I feel like I have been, uh, that God basically brought me out and he left me. And he left me alone out there with no, wo- no wood, no, uh, no food, nothing. He just left me. And so today I want to ex- share with you how I have survived. How I have survived the- these years where I feel like I've been distant from God so it's amazing how scripture really touches on everything. And I found a scripture that I want to share, and we read it earlier. So if, I want you to open your Bibles, if you have them, have them open, Psalm 42. And actually, we're going to go through Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. These two Psalms over the last years have really spoke to me because they express much of the feelings that I've had. And not only do they express my feelings, they also offer me some kind of way to make it through the desert. I think it's important, though, to start out, I'm not going to give, you know, I'm not going to give you the five ways to get out of the desert. I'm not going to say, this is, this is the plan. This is all you have to do, and, and you'll start to feel God again. I'm not going to do that. There's not that. You know, I have a daughter, as you saw, and uh, even this morning, she gets, she's in a bad mood. And the thing that you can't do with kids most of the time is you can't really joke them out of a mood. You can't really convince them not to be mad. You can't really convince them to change how they feel. And so much of this is, so much of what I've experienced, it's how I felt towards God. And it's very difficult for someone to just come in and tell me, if you, what are you doing? Why do you feel that way? Just do this, this, and this. 
and it'll be, you'll feel better. And it, life doesn't really work that way, especially the spiritual life. So what I want to tell you today is how I've survived, not how I have gotten out of the desert, but how I have survived while I'm in the desert. So this psalm, so it's two psalms, Psalm 42 and 43. Uh, they're basically our one psalm. And what's interesting about this collection of, of psalms is it's very similar to uh, a, a regular pop song. There basically is a verse, a chorus, a verse, a chorus, a verse, a chorus. It basically goes back and forth. So you have three different distinct verses, and then you have the chorus repeated three different times. And so in the verses, what the psalmist says, he essentially says, this is how I feel towards you, God. And in uh, the chorus, he says, this is what I'm going to do, even though I feel this way. So I want to go through first, I want to go through the individual verses, and then at the end, we'll get back to the, to the chorus. So, starting in verse 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with you? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? So the first feeling that the psalmist expresses is a feeling of thirst and of hunger. And what does he mean by that? You know, um, it's interesting when I first, you know, I don't know if many of you know this song. There's a song based on this psalm, right? As the deer pants for streams of water. So I grew up hearing that all the time. We sang it all the time in church. And when you hear that song, there's a sense that you think, I want to be that way. Like, I want to thirst for God. What's interesting is that's not really what this psalm is saying. It's saying I'm thirsty because I'm not getting fed like I, I should. It's saying that the things that I've done in my life that have brought me nourishment spiritually are no longer working. I, so my, my son, Soren, uh, he recently went to the doctor, and he, is, um, he hasn't been gaining weight the way he should. And so they've done some tests on him. But he eats fine. He, he eats a lot. He's, a big, he's actually a pretty big kid, but he just hasn't been gaining weight the way he should. So it's like he's eating, but he's not getting any nourishment from the food. And I felt that way many times. You know, the last, I was thinking over my life, the last 10, 12 years. Um, so I went to a one-year Bible college when I got out of high school. I went to four years of Bible college after that. And now I'm in seminary, and I've been in seminary. This is my third year. So that's about eight years worth of Bible education <laughs> that I've had. I've read the Bible. I've memorized the Bible. I've written papers on the Bible. I have eaten the Bible. I have, I, have, uh, I have been in God's Word so much during this time of being in the desert. That's interesting, right? We think that, or I, th- I have always thought that if I just read the Bible, that I will be spiritually fed. But there are times, or there has been, have been times in my life where I read Scripture, and I understand it, but somehow it just doesn't, it doesn't feed me. And this is what the psalmist is talking about, I think. The psalmist is talking about this time where, in his life, where the things that he did to be close with God, the things that he did to feed himself spiritually, just no longer are feeding him. And he can't understand why. He hasn't changed anything. Just something's different. So I felt that way. So let's go to the second verse. 
The second verse begins in uh, verse 7. So if you look down to verse 7, we're going to skip in between there. It says, Deep calls to deep, and the roar of the waterfalls. All the waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me, all day long, where is your God? So we're getting deep here. First it was, I feel like I'm not being fed spiritually. I feel dry. I feel like in a desert. The next thing he says basically is, God, I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like you've forgotten me. Which is interesting. How can God forget him? How can he forget me? Like, God knows everything. The one thing I did learn in Bible college is that God, God is all-knowing, right? But yet the psalmist is saying, and, and I am feeling at different times, that God is forgot, has forgotten me. How is that possible? You know, even a couple weeks ago, I was driving home from work. I was driving up the big hill when you're going by Boeing Field uh, on I-5, and uh, all of a sudden I was talking to Jody on the phone, and my car started to kind of shake, and the engine light came on, and I started slowing down and losing power, and I tried to shift down, and couldn't get enough power, but I made it home. But then my check engine light kept coming on, and my my car kept shaking, and uh, I knew I had to go get it checked out. But in that moment, I thought to myself, God, you, you know everything that's going on in my life. You know that I have no money. You know that I have a family. You know that I'm trying to serve you. You know that I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to serve you in a church. I'm trying to share Christ with people. I'm trying to do all these good things for you. Could you at least keep my car running? <laughs> right? Like, like, how is that possible? That doesn't make any sense. How, does God not care about my circumstances, or does he not know what's going on? Does it make any sense? And, you know, I think in this, this passage right there, I think there's a deeper thought process that's behind what the psalmist is saying. Essentially, he's saying, God, I thought we had a deal. I thought we made a deal. Like, I was going to obey you. I was going to do all the things that you told me to do. I was going to obey my parents as a kid. I was going to not have sex till I was married. I was going to uh, marry someone who's a Christian. I was going to try to be a good dad. I was going to do all these things. And all I want in response to that is you to take care of me and you to forgive me and you to love me. And I don't feel like you're doing that. We had a deal. We had a deal. That's what the psalmist is saying. And that's what I have, <laughs> I think, cried out to God many times. God, how can you forget me? We made this deal. We made this deal. The third verse we have uh, comes in chapter 43. So look forward a little bit, and then we're going to start in the first verse, chapter 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked, you are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. 
There's a big word in the middle of that verse. A huge word. A huge word, a sacrilegious word. It says, why have you rejected me? That's a strong statement to say to God. And say, God, not only have you forgotten me, not only do I feel like I go to you and you don't feed me spiritually, but God, I feel like you've rejected me. It's like God has, it's like God threw a big party and you got the invite and I showed up and he saw me from across the room and he grabbed his buddy and he said, get that guy out of there. I don't want him at my party. And there have been times when I felt that way. There have been times when it feels like I haven't done enough. And God has finally said, that's it. I'm cutting you off. But there's hope. So let's move to that, shall we? So let's go to the chorus. So the chorus takes place in uh, three different places. In verse, uh, verse 5, and verse 11, and then verse 5 again. So let's read that. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Hope. Where is our hope? Where is my hope? Where have I found hope in this time of the desert? Hope, I believe, is to actively remember what God has done in the past and count on him to do it in the future. When I, one of my, my most, one of the best memories I have when I was in Israel is um, taking part in all the different festivals that they have, all the different holidays. One of the amazing things when you look at the Old Testament is this idea of remembering our past in order to have hope for the future is all over the place. We see it all the way in, starting in Genesis and Noah and the flood and him having a rainbow. God saying, I'm going to give this rainbow so that you always remember to have hope. You remember that I won't ever destroy the earth with a flood again. And you keep going in the Old Testament and you see uh, the Exodus, one of the, the, the monumental part of the Old Testament is the Exodus. And as Israel comes up out of Egypt into the promised land, when that happens, God makes them institute all these different festivals in, to, in order really to remember what he had done for them. And uh, so in Israel, it's great. You have holidays all the time. And um, I celebrated Passover when I was there uh, on the beach of the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, but one of my, my favorite holiday was uh, Sukkot, which is the festival, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so this holiday is unique because all of the, um, all the people, they, they basically build the little shelters in their backyard, and then they have you over for parties and you hang out in their backyard. Um, but also in a lot where I was, 
the church that I was a part of, we got a big tent. It was an old French military tent, and we set it up on the beach. It's just a big open beach, and all of the young people in Israel, they come down to a lot, and they set up tents, and you just hang out for a week. So I got to sleep and eat and live on the beach for a week in this tent. And, and what the Sukkot celebrates is God bringing the people up out of Egypt. It's the idea that you build a shelter so that you can remember what it was, so you remember what it was like to live in the desert in tents. But this idea of remembrance is all throughout the Old Testament, and it continues even in the New Testament, right? Like in the, the New Testament, it continues with communion, the idea, the, the sacrament of the Eucharist, the idea that when we take communion, that one of the things it's, it's doing is it's helping us remember what God has done in the past and moving into the future, uh, being confident of the hope that is that. And one of my favorite books, or an impactful book, that, uh, a book that impacted me, uh, probably right when I got out of high school, I read the book, A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. I don't know if anyone has ever read that book, but he is a Jewish Holocaust survivor. And he um, developed basically a form of psychology centered around his experiences while he was in uh, Auschwitz. And the gist of what, the gist of his psychology is the idea that people live and die basically based on whether or not they have hope. Hope is such an important, such a powerful thing. And one story that sticks with me, I, I read that book 13, 14 years ago, and I, to this day I remember this story, and there's a story in there of a man who was in the concentration camp, and he had a dream. And the dream was that he was going to be released on a very specific day. He had a date in his mind, and he said that the camp is going to be, uh, it's going to be freed at this day. So he came and he told Viktor Frankl that, and and it was just a few weeks in the future. And as the day started to get closer and closer, slowly the man started to get sick. And um, on the day that he had told Viktor Frankl, the day that he believed he was going to be freed, he got really sick to the point where he went into a coma. And the next day after that, he died because he lost hope. We need hope. So... The question is, is our hope, is it just wishful thinking? Or is it hope that actually has a foundation? You know, I think many times in the Old Testament, there is an element of hope that was in fact wishful thinking. It was, wishful thinking was the basis for their belief. Um, you think about the Old Testament, God had promised that he would um, protect the people. He promised that he would free them, and, and yet they were all in exile. They were taken out in exile. All their kings were defeated. They were separated from their families, and yet they maintained this kind of hope. But in a lot of ways, it was really, it was really wishful thinking. Was their hope justified? I think so. Did God honor it? He did. But is our hope like that? Is it wishful thinking? I don't think so. Our hope, my hope, is founded on what Christ has done for me. And the only way that I have survived the desert, the only way that I have survived my time feeling rejected, feeling forgotten, feeling dry, the only way I've survived is I look at who Jesus was. 
I, looked at, I look at his life, his death, his resurrection, and I have hope. Because Christ has redeemed all of my circumstances. He has redeemed my marriage. He has redeemed my relationships with my family. He's redeemed my relationships with uh, my work. He redeems my relationship with the environment. He redeems my relationship with everything on all the earth. The only reason I have hope is because of what Jesus Christ did. And the New Testament talks about this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and and Peter is talking to uh, the, the letter itself is written to people that are in exile, people that are living in a persecuted world. And they're living, I'm sure, wondering where God is, wondering if God has forgotten them, wonder, wondering if God has rejected them, wondering why they feel so dry, wondering why God isn't fulfilling his part of the deal. Starting in verse 3, Peter says this to them. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We have hope. I have hope because of what Christ has done, even if I don't feel it. Actively remembering what Christ has done in the past and counting on him to do it in the future. So how have I actively remembered? What does that look like in my own life? So I've I've read this psalm. I've looked at it. I've seen the psalmist's own instruction to himself to remember and to have hope. So I think there's two things I've done in my own life. One is that I try to record every time I see God do something in my life. When you're poor, there's lots of opportunity for God to do something in your life, right? <laughs> and uh, my, my good wife, she has a little notebook that we keep, and we try to write down every time we see God provide for us in these miraculous ways. And so then when I feel down, when I feel forgotten, when I feel rejected— when I feel dry, when I feel overwhelmed, I can go there and I can read what God has done for me personally in my own life. And that's such a health, has been such a healthy thing for me to do. But today I want to talk about the, more about the second thing. The second thing is that I have tried to listen to other people's stories of what God has done in their life. I've tried to listen to other people's stories and really what that is, that's a word for that would be, or a term for that, for that would be corporate remembrance. It's corporate remembrance. And you think about it, Scripture is basically, much of Scripture comes out of this, right? So people would, um, as they experienced God, as they experienced what he had done in their lives, as they've seen the miraculous, as they have met God, they would write it down. And those stories would be passed down. And they would become the stories for people who hadn't actually experienced that. But by, through scripture, through reading, through sharing, the people that needed to hear what God had done in the past were able to do that. And uh, this, is, this is corporate remembrance. 
And I just, I just have such a passion for that because I think when I look out at this church, when I look out at you, one of the things I see is a lot of gray hair. And that's a great thing. That is a great thing because when I see gray hair, I see stories. I see all the people that have walked the path that I am on, that have made it through the desert, that have experienced God in, a power, in powerful, powerful, powerful ways. I see people that uh, have lost parents like I have lost. I see people who have 10 grandkids that can help me figure out how the, what the heck I'm doing parenting. I see so, many, so much possibility there's so much potential in the room. There's so much, so many good stories. There's so much wisdom. There's so much power there. There's so much uh, just resources for this community. So as I as I've started here, I'm trying to work with younger adults, apparently, because that's who I, that's who I'm passionate about, and that's who I am. But I have this this vision, this imagination, this of bringing together people who have been down the path in order to help all of us who are wanting to get there. This is corporate remembrance. And so what we're going to do, my wife and I, this week, we're going to send out an email and to all of, all of you guys here today and just asking you to start telling us your stories of what God has done in your life, how you've seen God do the miraculous how you've seen God do the mundane. And we want to come into your home if you would let us. We want to come in and we want to talk to you. We want to interview you. We might do some kind of video here at the church so we can show the congregation what your, what your story is. I want to bring young people with me in order to hear your story. I want to document that. I want to write it down. I want to record it, whatever you're comfortable with. But I want to bring <clears throat> the past together with the present, looking into the future. Is that exciting? Is it exciting? All right. So, you might have wondered, you might have wondered about the man who ended up out in the desert. What happened to him? Whatever happened to him? Well, obviously, he survived, because I know the story. Uh, But he... He basically, when he, when he woke up, after he was pa- pretty panic-stricken, he, he thought to himself, he said, he, he thought about where he had been, and he remembered way back sometime during the day that he had crossed a road. And he generally remembered what direction it was in. And so he turned around, and he just started walking. He had no water, no food, no camel, He started walking, and he walked, 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 and he made it to the road. And he was able to hitchhike from the road up to Amman and able to get his passport and get his identity and get back to Canada. So the way he survived the desert is the same way that I have survived the desert. He remembered his past. He remembered what God had done in the past so he could make it to the future. Let's pray.
Dear God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you've given us a hope. I thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus. I thank you for how he has shattered the deal that I thought I made with you. Lord, I thank you that you save us. You've saved me, not because of the righteous things I've done, but because of your great mercy and your compassion. Jesus lived the life I couldn't live. He died the death I couldn't die in order to save me. I'm so thankful for that. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray that there would be a unity about it. I pray that we would see people loving each other and sharing what you have done in their lives with those around them. Lord, I thank you for your hope. In Jesus' name, amen.